Social media can be mentally draining and affect our behavior in surprising ways. Now, new research is showing just how scrolling through social media can affect our ability to make rational choices. I'm Ment Marwani, and you're listening to The Conversation Weekly, the world explained by experts. I'm joined for this episode by Kate Kilpatrick, editor at The Conversation in the US. Hi, Kate. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Amanda. It's great to be on the show. You recently worked on a story in which you explored the impact of social media. And you specifically looked at how scrolling through social media can add a lot of mental load to our brain and make us vulnerable to making bad decisions. What drew you to this topic? Have you had any personal experience like this yourself? I unfortunately have. Um... I was spending a lot of time on YouTube at night, so I was scrolling through a lot of videos, you know, went lights out before falling asleep, and most of these videos were shopping related, so it was, you know, the fall trends you need to buy, or the best viral products on Amazon, and yeah, I found myself at night making these purchases for products, like a viral product for a foot scrub that, you know, makes your feet feel like baby soft again and I would use it once and never use it again so I just I just found that I was sort of in this habit of buying these inexpensive products but products that I really didn't need that really resonates with me I remember some of the impulse purchases I've made and I probably haven't ever used them ever again now you've been working with an academic Matthew Pittman who's been researching this phenomenon Can you tell me about him? Yeah, so Matthew Pittman is an assistant professor of advertising at the University of Tennessee in the United States. And he focuses on the sort of newish social media environments, so Instagram, TikTok, etc. And how these platforms have so many different types of content. We're looking at photos, videos, comments, likes and how that is a lot of information for our brain to process. And Matthew uses the concept called cognitive load. Can you explain what's meant by that term? Sure. So cognitive load is the amount of information our brain can handle in any particular moment. So the idea when it comes to learning is that if somebody's learning something new, there's only so much information they can take in at a particular time. And so what Matthew's studies show is sort of similarly when people are scrolling through social media and they're being bombarded by all this type of information, their brain just gets sort of frazzled and that leaves them vulnerable to buying things that they don't need and maybe they don't even want. Thanks so much for explaining that and thank you for coming on to the show, Kate. Thanks for having me, man. I called up Matthew and spoke to him. I was browsing social media like all of us do, and I found myself seeing the same ads over and over for these ridiculous products. And I was like, why am I seeing ads for custom Lego sets or a mani pack, which is a fanny pack meant to look like a hairy man's beer belly? And then I realized the reason I was seeing the ads is because I was purchasing these products. And my wife and I had many conversations about why did you think you needed this item? So eventually I decided to investigate what was it about social media use in itself, maybe that was priming me to be a little more susceptible to persuasive messages and unnecessary advertising. 
Matthew set out to study what researchers in the field of psychology refer to as cognitive load. Cognitive load is just the idea that our brain is a computer with, and just like all computers, it has limited processing capability. So if you're trying to have a Zoom call and watch a movie and download a game, at the, all at the same time, it's going to tax those limited resources. Our brain has limited resources and it can also be taxed if we try to do too many things at once. But Matthew says the extent to which information puts a strain on our cognitive load isn't always the same. That's because the way we are able to process information changes throughout the day as we become more and more exposed to stimuli from our surroundings. So maybe when you first wake up in the morning, you're not tired yet, you're not stressed, hopefully, yet first thing in the morning. When you see an ad for a mani pack, you think, that's dumb, I don't need that, and you move on, you scroll past it. However, later in the day, when you are thinking about many simultaneous things, what you're having for dinner, what time am I gonna go home, what's the commute like, will there be traffic, and you're scrolling social media, so you see a post from an old boyfriend or girlfriend from high school or college, a coworker who's currently on vacation, and you think, how can they afford this vacation? All of these things are taking little bits of your brain power to evaluate and think about. And once that's gone, then our defenses are down, and then we're more susceptible to superficial cues. Superficial cues are distractions unrelated to the actual content or task at hand. So think if a book or article has many pictures with bright colors that don't relate to the story. Or for example, if a website or application has a lot of buttons and links. These superficial cues can distract us from focusing on a task or from grasping important information. In the context of Michael's research, he's talking about the ads we're exposed to when using social media on our phones that can make it really hard to use the phone for what we intended to use it for. So normally, something with a million likes is not going to persuade you. However, when you're under cognitive load and your defenses are down and you see something that has, oh, a million people like it? Cool, that looks good, click, I'll buy it too. It should be worth noting that I don't think depleted cognitive load will make you purchase something totally crazy that you never considered. <laughs> but if you're on the fence about a purchase and you're under cognitive load and you see either a lot of likes or a lot of comments, or maybe it's very attractive people in the ad, that looks good, they look happy, I wanna be happy too, click, I'm gonna purchase it. It reminds me a little bit of a context where, let's say you're in a city environment, there's a lot of people and there's someone approaching you who wants to sell you something. And because of the distractions, you feel more susceptible to actually engage with that person and then buy whatever it is from that person. Is that a good analogy or? Yeah, that tracks. I feel the same way when dishouse people, why they wait at traffic intersections. Part of it is because that's where cars are stopped and they can have access. But also part of it is I panic if the light turns green and my kid's like, dad, can we give them a sandwich? I'm like, ah, yeah, okay. And I'm, and because I'm frazzled and thinking, I'm more likely to make kind of a, a snap judgment. To understand exactly how these superficial cues can influence our behavior, Matthew and his colleague, Eric Haley, conducted three online studies on 300 Americans aged 18 to 65. They were looking to see how people would respond when under cognitive load. To do this, they showed people adverts for different kinds of food-related products to see how that would influence their processing capacity. 
we used food overall because everybody has to eat. Everyone has at least some vested interest in, in the food they consume. In the first study, the participants were split into three groups. A control group was asked to look at an image of an advert for a food subscription service using their phone. A second group had to memorize a nine-digit number and then look at the same ad. The third group were asked to scroll through their Instagram feed for 30 seconds and then also look at the ad. You're going through that Rolodex of, okay, that's my aunt. Okay, that's somebody I met once. Okay, that's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Okay, I guess he's filming a new movie. And you're constantly shifting these evaluation criteria that requires some cognitive effort. So for each study, we did that. The team also tested how likes and comments on a social media ad would affect participants' cognitive load. So rather than being shown a simple image of an advert, some were exposed to an advert with a few hundred likes or tens of thousands of likes to see how that would impact their cognitive load. Every time, once we induced load, people were more persuaded by high metrics, high comments, high likes, we jump on the bandwagon. In other words, if somebody was burdened with the cognitive load of looking at their Instagram feed, the more impressionable they were to likes and comments shown under a social media advert. And they were more likely to say that they buy the product than those in the control group or those who had to memorize the nine-digit number. Matthew was also trying to measure the mental effort involved. So after viewing the advert, each participant was asked to rate how much mental effort it took them to complete the task. The result indicated that the Instagram feed led to some reduction in mental capacity, meaning the participants had fewer cognitive resources available to process information, solve problems and perform tasks effectively. In a second study, participants were shown an advert for a fictional ice cream. But this time, the team went further and looked at participants' capacity to solve or engage in more complicated tasks after they'd scrolled through social media. Sometimes we would have them do a math problem <laughs> and we calculated the percentage of the time they got it right. And people under cognitive load got it right less often because there's more in their head going on. They can't do this basic, albeit complicated arithmetic. We also had an open-ended question, which we used a text sentiment and grammar analysis program to look at the, the structure of the sentences they gave. Participants were shown pictures of the ice cream advert and were then asked to explain if they would buy the ice cream, and if so, why they would be buying it. People that were not under cognitive load gave grammatically normal sentences that flowed logically, such as, this ice cream looked tasty, or I liked the colors. <laughs> but when people were under cognitive load, even their sentences were more fractured, like single words, tasty, fine, yummy, cold. <laughs> so... We thought that was a cool way to qualitatively show, hey, even the sentences in our language abilities are go down when we're under load, which explains why I can't explain to my wife why I consistently make stupid purchases. The way our cognitive load is affected also depends on how much an activity involves conscious intentional thinking, or what's also called central processing. If people are using central processing and you want to sell them a watch, you talk about the complex movements, the Swiss gears and the quality of the metal and the whatever and the glass and it's aluminum, titanium. When we are engaged in automatic and more superficial processing of information, so-called peripheral processing, we're more likely impacted by other factors. If they're using peripheral processing, you just show George Clooney in the watch because our brains process information differently. So if they're or if they're highly involved in the product they care about watches they care about the 
quality, the legacy, the, all that stuff. You need strong arguments to move them down that path, down that purchase decision. If they're not involved and or they're using peripheral processing, their strong arguments aren't going to move them in that direction because they don't really care or know enough to care. But Matthew says that in some situations, people are better at coping with an overload of stimuli. This is what he and his colleagues tried to test in their third study. When it's a area that you do care about or you do have some experience, then because of the involvement, because it's a personal issue for you, you're more likely to devote those resources even when you are depleted. In other words, when participants showed that they'd had greater knowledge of and involvement in a product, cognitive load and the number of likes on the advert they were shown weren't significant. In the study, this product category was coffee because people love coffee. Some people are kind of ambivalent and they don't care, and some people don't really like coffee. So it was a perfect thing to study because you have a full spectrum of product involvement. And we found that for people that didn't really care about coffee, we replicated the same results from the first two studies, which was no cognitive load. They make balanced, rational decisions. However, once you induce cognitive load, which we did just from having them scroll their Instagram for 30 seconds, then they were more susceptible to cues of, hey, lots of comments, lots of likes, this is popular. However, past a certain point of coffee involvement, I think it was like 5.7 on a scale of one to seven. Once they're higher than that, that means they love coffee. That means even though I'm taxed and I'm frazzled and I'm trying to hold all these things in working memory, in that case, even when we induce cognitive load, if they loved coffee and they were very involved, they were not persuaded by superficial cues or metrics because they they love it. It's personal to them. They're involved. And so they're still going to think rationally about it because they have that experience and knowledge. That's because participants cared enough about the product to devote their cognitive resource to evaluating the product for themselves. Social media isn't going to go anywhere. It's here to stay. How can we use this knowledge to help us perhaps be more conscious and aware in moments when we are just on the internet browsing, just on our phones browsing? Yeah, so that's a great question. And part of it is just what you said, awareness, media literacy, which is why I like talking about it on podcasts like this. I think it's important to know. Hopefully we can educate people to be aware that the way you make decisions on social media is affected by how long you've been using that social media. Just like research has shown that self-control is a muscle that gets more tired throughout the day, which is why it's easier to have a healthy breakfast than it is to have a healthy dinner. The longer you use social media, the more you're frazzled and mentally tired and more likely to make these questionable purchases. And perhaps more personally, what do you do in order to stop yourself from buying many packs? And <laughs> I do try to be more deliberate in my own personal social media use. So whether I'm walking out to check the mail or walking down a hall, it's instinctive for a lot of us, even if we're going to the bathroom, it's instinctive to just pull out the phone. But I try to, I'm not successful all the time, but I'm getting better. Before I click on the social media icon to open up that app, I take inventory and say, all right, what am I doing? Why am I using it? Am I just killing time for 15 seconds? Cool. Let's let it be that. Do I want to check in with the world? Do I want to see what's going on with a certain a sporting event or other human being in the world that I'm familiar with? By figuring out my motivations beforehand, it hopefully helps me align those motivations with the outcomes. I suppose 
what you're saying is we should be more intentional right. in our use of social media. But I know that I often open my phone with a particular intention and then half an hour later, I've forgotten what I was going to do. And sometimes it only takes one certain post to, to divert us from that attention. We should also note that other communication scholars have been telling us this for years from the standpoint of mental health and well-being and human communication. The idea that spending hours a day on a platform probably isn't the most healthy. Figure out what you want to do, who you want to communicate with beforehand. But now it's cool to have evidence that complements that mm -hmm. from an advertising marketing standpoint to say, hey, not only will you be probably less happy and more confused and anxious, but you're also going to buy stuff you might not need. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Matthew Pittman for talking to us about his research and to Kate Kilpatrick who edited the original story on The Conversation. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. This episode of The Conversation Weekly was produced and written by me, Ment Marijuani, with assistance from Katie Flood. Gemma Ware is the show's executive producer. Sound design was by Eloise Stevens and our theme music is by Nita Saal. Stephen Khan is our global executive editor. Alice Mason runs our social media and Soraya Nandi does our transcripts. You can connect with us on Instagram at theconversation.com, on X, formerly known as Twitter, at TC underscore audio, or email us directly at podcast at theconversation.com. If you like what we do, please support our podcast and The Conversation more broadly by going to donate.theconversation.com and please give us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.